Welcome everybody, come one, come all, to a new episode of Dudes Talk Sports. I'm your solo host, Will Thomas, today, coming in a sizzling because... My balls was hot. Yep. Dudes Talk Sports, hosted by Will Thomas and Chad Tujan. Alright, welcome back everybody. We're going to be going over on this episode a whole lot of stuff, including the McGregor Nurmagomedov fallout, all of that stuff, some boxing news, some NFL news, what's going on, and some NCAA football news. That little soundbite at the beginning was courteous of Derek Black Beast Lewis post-fight interview after the Alexander Volkov fight at UFC 229. Derek, why'd you take your pants off? My balls was hot. I understand. And, uh, man, what a beautiful answer and what a beautiful saying. You could literally say that to possibly anything and it would just somehow make sense. You could be like, uh, I ordered the Subway foot long instead of the six inch because my balls was hot. I'm lactose intolerant because my balls was hot. I only like cats and not dogs because my balls was hot. It's, it's, it really is just a beautiful saying. It, it just works with everything and I'm going to probably use that uh, as a tramp stamp. So uh, it's a good possible idea moving forward. Uh, getting into the UFC 229 recap, uh, including the Habib Nurmagomedov versus Connor McGregor, Mystic Mac. Mystic Mac is losing his, losing his touch, man. Uh, not only uh, – there's, there's two ways you can go about this. Not only is he uh, continually always saying first-round KOs and not getting them as of recently, but speaking of touch, did anybody see that pass that he did at the Dallas Cowboys game? Oh, my God. It was like uh, Philip Rivers and Uncle Rico had a baby and they could throw maybe as far as uh, me. So that's that's pretty bad. Pretty, pretty bad. Uh, We're going to go over some of the main card fights. We're not going to touch any of the prelims um, just because I'm not going to. Uh, Going into it, let's pull up this recap right There it is. Okay. So Michelle Watterson, the karate hottie, defeats Felice Herrig. Uh, It was pretty (laughs) one-sided. She took the unanimous decision. Michelle, Michelle Watterson is just in a completely different league in terms of striking comes from with her uh, her karate background, her point fighting style. She's just she's just a lot more diverse when it comes than Felice. Felice, Felice is a, a much more grinded out type of fighter. Uh, so Watterson takes that one. Derek Black Beast Lewis, I mentioned him earlier. Yep, that same guy. Defeats Alexander Volkov uh, via a Hail Mary of a KO, which was actually my favorite fight of the night because I spent – the majority of the fight just completely waxing poetic about Alexander Volkov and how he how he was outstriking Derek Lewis and how just great he looked. Alexander Volkov has a humongous height advantage, a humongous reach advantage to Derek Lewis. And the thing that was most admirable about it is I love when a fighter fights to their strengths. And so Alexander Volkov is a very tall, very lanky fighter, and he has great technique when it comes to striking. But the best part about that is he uses all of those attributes. Nothing frustrates me more when you have a tall fighter who doesn't fight like a tall fighter. And that's one of the things that made like Lennox Lewis so great. He was a humongous tall fighter but he kept shorter fighters at distance with his jab he's never going to let you in where you can hit him he's just going to keep you where he can hit you and where you're swinging at air and that's what alexander volkov was doing the entire time he's utilizing jabs leg kicks keeping Derek loose at bay taking away his gas tank taking away his legs taking away his explosion and really utilizes his footwork and just his angles and getting in getting in getting out peppering Derek Lewis and keeping him at the end of his jab where Derek Lewis couldn't get in. And I was going on and on and on and saying, man, Derek Lewis is getting mopped for the better part of three rounds. And at the last possible second, that's right. A steaming right hand comes through, knocks Alexander Volkov down. And the rest was history as Derek Lewis pounded him out. 
does his little celebration, and then proceeds to give the best post-fight interview of all time, uh, including as well as uh, a few a few gems like a patriotic tirade that would have made Hulk Hogan proud, saying that Donald Trump called me before the match, told me to knock this Russian motherfucker out. They've been making him look bad on the news and shit. You would say I've been this hoe, which was incredibly amazing. And just I started singing, I'm proud to be an American, just in the back of my head. And it was just, it was a completely beautiful interview. I pretty much had it saved. And I listen to it every single day. It really motivates me. Uh, moving on, Dominic Reyes defeats Ovin St. Prue. This actually took me by surprise. Ovin St. Prue has been a, a humongous fixture in the, you know, at least the top 10, but he always floats around that five to eight range. Just because, not yeah, he's an athletic freak, former football player for the Tennessee Vols, um, and a former pro player as well. But he's just he's so awkward. He has a, a bunch of von flute chokes, um, and he's also a, a pretty great striker. He's very unorthodox when it comes to striking, but he can put away anybody, including Mauricio Shogun Hua a few years ago. And now he's getting older. He's he's no longer that that blue chip young guy with a bunch of potential. Now he's just he's, he's kind of settling. He is what he is. Um, and it really surprised me that Dominic Reyes took it to him. I mean, I'm not surprised in the fact that Dominic Reyes is, you know, he's a phenomenal fighter. Look at his record. It speaks for itself. Um, but I, I, I start nerding out with fights like this because, uh, St. Pierre said it best when he fought, I want to say it was Koscheck, uh, Josh Koscheck. Koscheck came in with a, a bunch of wrestling credentials, but he started coming in as, as a dynamic striker and Koscheck was throwing a lot of loopy hooks, a lot of big right hands, and and he's known for for being a power puncher. But George St. Pierre wrapped it up with his jab, uh, pretty much shut Koscheck's eye down within the first round. It was just insanely blown out. And then uh, afterwards, he described it as, "Yeah, I was fighting a circular fighter, and the only way to beat a circular fighter at that point is to fight linear. So just to be a much more linear fighter." And so that included jabs, that includes straight left, straight dominant hands, whichever one. And, and and that was the same thing when it came to Dominic Reyes. He utilized a lot of uh, leg kicks, a lot of body kicks to sap Ovin St. Prue of that explosion, that, that athletic pedigree that he comes from. Um, but then he also just utilized his jab, and he had great boxing, great strikes, and just uh, what beats a circular power puncher? Circular power punches take, or circular power punches take longer to get to. I mean, travel travel your your fist around a semicircle. It's going to take longer to get to. What's going to get quicker than that? A straight line. And so it's it's really basic stuff when it comes to striking. And Dominic Reyes put on a clinic when it came to that, and it looked incredible against Ovin St. Prue. Uh, moving on to the next fight, Tony Ferguson defeats Anthony Pettis. Man, that was a fun fight for the first two rounds. <coughs> the first round, um, Anthony Pettis. Had Tony or Tony Ferguson on the ropes, and he um, to, Anthony Pettis looked as good, if not better, than you know, shit. I mean, his last fight, yeah, he won his last fight, but Anthony Pettis looked like Showtime. He looked phenomenal. He looked like he was or he was having a lot of a lot of fun, but he was taking it to Tony Ferguson. He was beating him before every single strike. Um, he, I mean, they both went to the ground. Anthony Pettis is no slouch on the ground. Tony Ferguson is better there, in my opinion. I think Anthony Pettis is more creative there, in my opinion. But Anthony Pettis knocked him down and and almost had him finished. Um, Tony Ferguson, great job with him. His conditioning was able to recover, utilize his technique, um, and then really started putting on him in the second round. Anthony Pettis ended up wasn't able to go, uh, and and hats off to uh, Duke Roof as his head coach in Milwaukee. 
um, because Anthony Pettis was like, all right, yeah, I'm ready, but I think my hand's broken. And and Duke Rufus always looking out for his fighter and his friends. That's that's the the main part when it comes to Duke. That Duke just said, look, if your hand's broken, let me know because I don't want you going out there getting hurt. And Anthony Pettis said, my my hand's broken, but I I still want to fight. Um, and, and and Duke looked out for the better interest of his fighter and called the fight. So hats off to him. Hats off to Tony Ferguson. Hats off to Anthony Pettis, man. He looked great, but Tony Ferguson, like in two or in true Tony Ferguson style, weathered the storm and was was really able to just pour on him and just overwhelm him like Tony Ferguson always does. So hats off to him. And then moving on to the last fight, the main event of UFC 229, Habib Nurmagomedov. <laughs> Habib Nurmagomedov versus Conor McGregor. Obviously, uh, you know this the the results. Habib defeated Conor uh, in the fourth round with a submission, a rear naked choke, if I do believe so, uh, to retain his lightweight title. Uh, not too much to go into. I mean, yeah, I'll sure I'll go into the fight. So th- that first round was going to be very telling. Um, Connor, obviously, it, it, the the technique, the styles, it, it writes the fight itself. You have an excellent assassin when it comes to striking versus an excellent assassin when it comes to just technique, groundwork, wrestling, smothering, pace, all that, and, and, and Habib. And so the first round was going to be very telling. If, if Connor could keep his distance, if Connor could fend off the, uh, the, the groundwork, the takedowns, and keep it on the feet, in order for Mystic Mac to land one of those those Irish scent potato left hands, bam, and hit Nurmagomedov. And for the first, you know, for the first opening seconds, it looked like that. Um, McGregor was was it came out loosey goosey style like he always does. <laughs> Looked really light on his feet. Um, kind of went for a few weird techniques that out that just looked like he was just trying to throw him. He always ends up throwing within the opening second, some spinning back kick or something like that where it gets him off balance, but he always recovers, um, and, which is smart because it always gets the attention of the opponent. But Habib eventually shot for a takedown, and McGregor stuffed it, man. McGregor stuffed it. You could tell he was training for Habib throughout you know the entirety of however long he's been out. You can tell that's what he was working on. Uh, but the thing that's frustrating is no matter what, no matter how much you train for a Habib, you are never, ever going to be able to beat Habib in what he does in wrestling. It's just like if you train for McGregor, when it comes to MMA, it's going to be hard to beat him just standing up. You're going to have to utilize some other tool. Um, and McGregor stuffed the takedown, and then where I think he messed up is he willingly tried taking the back of Habib, and, and he did. Um, but you're only going to ride that bull for so long before Habib uses his technique, utilizes his million year or millions of years of experience wrestling wrestling bears in Dagestan to you know to grab your foot, roll out, and put you on your back. And that's exactly what he did, man. And, and so uh, Connor played with fire and, and wanted to show, hey, I can stuff the takedown. Hey, I took the wrestlers back. How, how do you like that? And Habib said, yeah, that's cool. I'm just going to wait here a real second, wait for my opportunity, and I'm going to take your ass down and reverse this. And that's what he did. Uh, and then from then on out, it was just a wrestling clinic. Habib actually had a, a few good strikes, including a major right hand. I think it was a right hand that wobbled uh, wobbled <coughs> McGregor. But R- McGregor, uh, true testament to uh, his, his jaw, he recovered like that. 
Uh, he wasn't yet gassed, so he, he wasn't in the McGregor Lucy Goosey uh, looks like he's constantly, you know, hurt stage uh, that you saw in the Diaz fights and, and including the uh, Mayweather fight. And so it, it was it wasn't back and forth, man. Habib pretty much he rode the train and, and that was that was that it goes to the fourth round. McGregor uh, gets uh, get caught in a rear naked choke. And that was that. That was that. He he tapped. And then the real fight <laughs> ensued afterwards with Habib talking shit to McGregor, talking shit to a few people in the crowd, including Dylan Dennis, uh, McGregor's training partner, who was quoted as saying, I think I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but quoted as saying, yeah, I am McGregor's training simulator partner for Habib and I and every day McGregor gets to fight a more dangerous version of Habib Habib took offense to not only that but everything that everybody was saying throughout the lead-up including stuff about his family stuff about his religion blah 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 stuff that you've already heard ad nauseum jumps the cage uh and if this if you don't think I'm not saying that we come from 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 monkey DNA but if you do not see the correlation of, of Habib Nurmagomedov jumping off the octagon into the crowd, flailing his arms up and down like he's about to just do a Hulk smash, and you do not see a gorilla or a monkey or anything like that in any of those movements, I don't know what is because that was that was pure uh, that was pure testosterone, that was pure rage, that was pure. You could just see the muscle mechanics devolve into their most basic forms of I'm going to kill you. Um, so there was no technique. There was a big brawl that ensued outside the cage. A big brawl ensued inside the cage with uh, Zabara Tagokov, Khabib's training partner, <coughs> jumped the fence as McGregor was fighting one of the other uh, training camp members of Habib. Zabara Tagokov jumps the fence, cold cocks Connor, um, and then he tries validating it later, saying I was going to slap him, and I promised. And it ended up being his own countrymen took Connor's side <laughs> because they just said, hey, man, that was a chicken shit move. Uh, granted, I don't know what was said between the two. I, I don't know. I wasn't there, so I'm not going to get too much into that. Plus, I don't want any MMA fighters on my bad side because I am not an MMA fighter. Uh, I am a podcast host. So moving on to that, um, speaking of Zabara Tagokov, he later had his fight pooled uh, against Artem Lobov, which is Conor McGregor's training partner, ironically, um, later in the year. And Habib <laughs> delivered an Instagram ultimatum, an instamatum, if you would, uh, saying, hey, uh, Conor, <laughs> my guys were handcuffed, and if they're, it's like if they're going to get charges pressed on them, blah, 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 uh, and you're going to pull their fights, you're going to cut them, you're going to fire them, uh, don't worry, you can do that, but you're going to lose me, Habib, the Eagle, Nurmagomedov as well, um, because this is about honor, and if you're not going to uh, punish Conor McGregor uh, appropriately and his actions with his crew against our uh, the whole UFC bus incidents where he ended up not only doing the damage that he did and, and the physical and mental trauma. I mean, Rose Namajunas is apparently still mentally recovering from that whole incident when she was on the bus and, and Connor threw the chair or the dolly or whatever it was through the window. But it's like, if you're not going to do that and, and, and or 
punish Connor for all of the damage he did to that, plus the damage he did to the fighters that were on the bus. There were glass shards that I think went, I want to say it was Ray Borg, went to his eye or it was somebody else. <coughs> there was two fighters that got injured throughout that that were completely not within the those two camps. If you're not going to do anything to Connor for that, then then you shouldn't do anything for this. You know, and, and I, I agree. I agree. Um, it, it was a well well played argument. So I, I severely doubt that the UFC uh, lets this fly and lets uh, lets Habib off the hook and lets him go to wherever he wants. Or maybe they say, "All right, yeah, cool. You're well. You can go ahead and retire, and you're not going to fight anywhere else because we probably have some sort of clause in whatever contract we have that's a, a non compete clause, and you're not going to fight for anybody until our two fights or however many fights they have remaining on his contract are fought." via you so it'll be interesting i think i, I think habib's a, a huge star but he's not a conor mcgregor star so i think that the ufc is all about making cheddar and i think that no matter what they, they decide with conor but i i still don't think they let go of habib so it'll be interesting to see that um man that whole thing was just it was just straight wwe i know they, they're talking about how it was a black eye for the sport, and I get it for, for for the purists and all this stuff. It was a black eye for the sport, but if you want attention on your sport and you want people to buy in and all this stuff, or not just buy in, but just get clicks and views and all that, man, it's becoming more and more accepted in MMA. And this, you, I mean, everybody's in MMA is already trying to be more WWE, and that obviously started with Brock, and that led to, I mean, literally and figuratively, literally and figuratively, started with Brock. And you, they, there was the CM Punk uh, <laughs> experiment, which was phenomenal uh, TV, I guess. And then you had, I mean, you had Bobby Lashley who came in after Brock as well. And hell, you even have Jack Swagger uh, fighting uh, in Bellator, I think, later this year, uh, who was an All-American wrestler, so he has more credentials. All th- three of those four have legit credentials. Brock, Jack, Lashley, all, all wrestling champions, all like actual legit wrestling, not, not, not professional wrestling. And so, it, man, it was just, it was a fun debacle to watch uh, and also to just go, oh shit, what the hell's going on? Uh, speaking of WWE, and this is a, a side tangent, has anybody seen John Cena's hair? His new hair? He, he he's disappeared for the past few months. Uh, been living in China, I think. I, I wonder if they're using him to uh, to really promote the growth of WWE over there. But John Cena f- physically looks phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, he's been letting his uh, his dad hair grow, and he, hey man. Hey, you look like you have a, a brother Joey, and your daughters are the Olsen twins, but only one's ever on screen for some point. It it just, man, you got you're you're rocking powerful dad hair, and I'm not. It doesn't look bad. It doesn't look bad, but uh, unless you're uh, you're trying to go for a ripped version of Danny Tanner, then uh, then let him. Teach their own. Teach their own. So moving on from WWE talk or, or WWE side talk, Terrence Crawford retains his WBO welterweight title with a KO over Jose Benavidez in the 12th round that made me Valley Girl out. I literally went, oh, my God, he's dead as soon as it happened. Uh, phenomenal KO. Phenomenal fight for, for, for Bud Crawford, undefeated welterweight fighter. Um, I'm really excited to see what where they move him um, and, and what they're going to do with him. I know that it's probably – uh, a matchup with another undefeated fighter. Won't say any names, but you can look it up. You'll find it out. Moving on to NFL news. That is it for Fight Talk. Uh, going over some of the week six headlines now that it is Tuesday. <coughs> so we had New England take down KC. 
We had the uh, the old reigning king defeat the new young buck, the up and coming challenger. Patrick Mahomes train, man. I, I won't get too much into it. Everybody knows New England. Everybody knows what they stand for. Everybody knows that they're good. Blah, 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 blah. There's nothing I, I'm going to say that hasn't been really beat to death aside from Sonny Michelle's a shit. Um, Patrick Mahomes train. I am all aboard. Toot toot. Man, I mean, I've been all aboard for the past few weeks, so it's nothing to, to be surprised with. But, man, is that offense absolutely nuclear. They can go from having three or two horrid plays to all of a sudden Mahomes just rolls out to his right. It's not, not just rolling out to his right anywhere, but there were so many times where he rolled out to his right and his throwing motion, it didn't look like it was going to go far because his throwing motion screamed if uh, – if, Philip Rivers and Uncle Rico had a baby. It, he like shot puts it. And so it looked like he was just going to shot put it and then it would just travel 9 million yards and Tyreek Hill would just run a billion yards faster than everybody else and get it. And so that's what happened, man. It was just back and forth. It was right hook for right hook. It was slugfest for slugfest. It was crazy. And then New England would string together some big elaborate drive, put it in the end zone, New England style. And then the Chiefs would have two bad plays and then a gigantic deep ball touchdown. Just like that in the blink of an eye. And so it was fun. It was an amazing fun fight, or a fun fight, a fun uh, football match to watch. Moving in, moving on, sorry, to Miami defeats Chicago in Brocktober. Brock Osweiler, Brocktober, that's right, I'm, I'm saying that, is, uh, is officially underway. Uh, Ryan Tannehill forced to sit with a rumored AC sprain uh, on his shoulder, AC joint sprain. Um Brock Osweiler does the damn thing. Well, him and Albert Wilson did the damn thing. Albert Wilson had two intermediate catches, ripped them off for humongous gain TDs, um, and, and Brock looked great. The you know Miami looked great, and Chicago, whew, being a Packers fan, thanks for that, man. Thanks for that. Monday Night Football. Uh, actually, let's say that uh, Dallas versus the Jags. Dallas beats the Jags forty to seven in an anemic offense that has been labeled by a lot of media pundits a lot of sports pundits that don't play the game ironically including myself uh their offense found life found humongous life and yeah there was a good bit behind you know their bell cow zeke elliott but dak looked a good 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 and large part to cole beasley constantly winning his matchup in the slot constantly winning that matchup that little that little gringo rapper football player Dude, Cole put it down. So did Dak. So did Zeke. So did the defense, man. I mean, they held the Jags to seven points. <clears throat> I know the Jags' offense is not world are not world world beaters. Uh, and he's Fournette still out with his hamstring. You have Yeldon carrying the the helm right now. Uh, Jamal Charles made a, a recent appearance after moving out of the old people's home uh, to take down some third down carries and targets. Blake Bortles, man, looking like Blake Bortles, has a hot game, has a bad game, has a hot game, has a bad game, and this was not a good game. Uh, Dallas defeats the Jags 40-7 in a very, 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 very surprising shocker in terms of scoring-wise. Um, and lastly, Monday Night Football, Green Bay versus the San Fran Bathards. That's right, I said it. <sighs> man, this was frustrating to watch for me. I'm sure frustrating to watch for Chad because he's a diehard 49ers fan. I am The only thing I'm happy about with this game it, oh, there's two things. One that I don't have to sulk on my bye week, uh, but two, the the Mason Crosby rebound story. He missed like six straight the previous week before. Didn't make any field goals. Was crying towards the end of the game. You could tell Rodgers and his his teammates were trying to console him. Um, 
the team wrapped around him the entire week. And then he had the ultimate rebound story, man. He made every single field goal. I think with five for five, including extra points and made the game winner. Um, that's what I'm happy for. What I'm not happy for is that San Fran is a good young team. Their O-line's great. Their D-line is great. The D-line has a lot of draft equity built into it. Um, and it really started showing. It really started showing <coughs> against our O-line. I know our O-line's not the greatest, but, well, I mean, we have a, a pretty decent O-line when it comes to having Bakhtiari left tackle, Lane Taylor left guard, Corey Lindsley center, interchange whatever person's at right guard, whether it's Byron Bell or Justin McCray, or I think we even had – uh, Lucas Patrick there because Bell went down. And then you have Brian Bulaga. So you have two all-pro tackles. You have a, a, a worthy pro center. Um, you have a worthy pro left guard. And then that right guard is just the turnstile. But San Fran's defense looked great, especially in the first quarter. I know that <laughs> the first drive, they gave up a big touchdown within two plays. One was a, a short pass that just had a lot of yak on it too. Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Um, and then second... They uh they just gave up uh, uh it wasn't a touchdown run because it was ended up nulling out sorry it was a three play drive um, to Aaron Jones but then a, a pass to Ty Montgomery but after that it was kind of stifled we got most of our points off of turnovers um, on fumbles from the special teams and uh, the I want to say it was the tight end or the fullback I think it was the tight end <laughs> um, but no matter what San Fran hung tough and Bethard looked amazing. Uh, backup quarterback C.J. Bethard out of Iowa. Um, he looked great, man. It's like they were playing the best thing that I loved about San Fran's game plan is it was so simple. Kyle Shanahan is an offensive guru, and he kept it so simple. He's like, how are we going to beat these guys? We're going to play lineup, knock you down football. And say what you want about the second half game plan it was the same pl game plan as the first half the only difference is the first like they they would do this they'd go run one run two over top run one over top and they would they would play you short and they would play you deep and then the green bay packers would get caught in this weird little intermediate um <coughs> this intermediate level and they would either give up a huge gash or they would give up a huge play over top and so they i mean in the first half, the, the run sequences for San Fran, they were ripping off 8 yards, 9 yards, 12 yards, 5 yards, 20 yards with running backs the likes of Matt Breida and whoever their third down running back is. I didn't even I, don't, I didn't even recognize him. And then they had, you know, Alfred Moore or Alfred Morris had a few spots, but they were all running the bar, uh, ball hard and when there was in a hole, they made something happen. Um, and so that was really impressive. They just played standard football and offense and they lulled you to sleep. And it wasn't even they were lulling you to sleep. They were getting big chunks up front with the run. So when you committed to the run, you had Marquise Goodwin who finally came back and proved why Marquise Goodwin is so valuable to that actual team. Had a huge deep ball touchdown and had another touchdown later. Um, and so I was really impressed with, uh, with the San Francisco 49ers. <coughs> I wasn't impressed Throughout the second half, I know it was the same game plan as the first, but the Packers are a perennial second team or second half team. And uh, they adjust so well when it comes to going into the locker room, figuring out what was going wrong in the first half. It frustrates me that it takes them a whole half to get there. Um, but, I mean, I don't fault the 49ers for not changing it up. I just I really wish they would have changed it up a little bit more so after they figured, all right, they've caught on to what we're doing now. They're playing the run. They're stuffing all this stuff, and, and we're, we're – you know, we're playing the pass later. Um, moving on after that, C.J. Bethard, again, he, he looked like 
he still had his good moments. There were still third downs that he picked up in the second half. <laughs> um, play actions just weren't there anymore. There was a few times where he either ran for it, ran for the first, or tried running after everybody was stymied um, coverage-wise, and he just couldn't pick it up. And then obviously had his uh, his deep interception on third down later in the game uh, when they were trying to get in the field goal range after they had iced uh, Rodgers a few drives in a row. Rodgers ends up uh, getting the ball back with, like I think, 107 left. Rodgers and the Packers. Rodgers and the Packers. The Packers. <laughs> and uh, Rodgers leads, leads a drive that he said wasn't going to start off. He said in his interview post game that he was thinking of overtime, which is uh, which is pretty you know apropos of this team's mentality right now. But he was, it was uh, they were playing for overtime, and the first run was a, a big rip that Ty or that Ty Montgomery had, and then uh, he had a big pass along the sidelines uh, to Equinemia St. Brown on the right with a back shoulder. Probably the biggest play. That of, of that drive, honestly, because that was just it – was, it was a great throw, but it was just a hell of a catch by Equinemius, the rookie. Uh, big catch by Devontae, puts it in position, I think, for like a 28-yard field goal or something like that. I can't remember. For Mason Crosby. Crosby boots it through. Um, adulation, he's crying. Everybody else is crying. And then the 49ers left, man. They were defeated, and that was uh, – <laughs> man, I, that, was, that was probably definitely hard for Chad to watch because I thought they had the better team that night. I really did. Um, and their their O line looks great. Um, there was not a lot of pressure, man. Especially Mike Patine, they they typically only rush four, but when they sent the house on the blitz, or when they sent the house blitzing on third down, Bethard had him, man. Bethard had him. Either he would pick it up himself, or he just he'd, he'd read the play action, find you know whoever was open in the middle, or the deep ball to uh, to Goodwin, and he just looked great. He looked great. I know the second half spoke otherwise, but that was stark contrast from the 49ers that we saw last week against the Arizona Cardinals. So hats off to the Niners. Um, I know Chad wishes they won, but they didn't. So suck it. Uh, moving on from NFL news, we're going to go to some quick NCAA, NCAA football news. Uh, a whole slew of upsets in the top 25 LSU downs. My dogs, the UGA Bulldogs, Michigan state takes down Penn state, Iowa state, the most alarming Iowa state defeats West Virginia and will Greer, the QB who's posed to be one of the potential top picks. And then of course, speaking of possibly the top QB pick in the next year or next year's NFL draft, the biggest upset of them all, Alabama, Defeats Missouri. I'm just kidding on that one. But that does include Drew Locke, QB1 for uh, Missouri, which probably will be the top QB selected next year, which is weird. Um, speaking of Alabama, though, brief scare with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Uh, got his cleat stuck in the turf, I think it was, on, on, on a run where he slid. Um, further, not further, um, I guess you say further. Further injured a leg. Didn't play the second half, but Alabama didn't need to, so it was more cautious than than uh, than, than they should have at that point. But I mean, when you have a backup like Jalen come in, who was the guy who orchestrated two other NCAA runs, um, championship runs, you don't need to. Two has looked phenomenal. He's putting up video game numbers, Patrick Mahomes like numbers, uh, and, and and not just having the hardest name to say. He's pretty much one of the hardest QBs to play right now. Um, so they held him out in the second half. He's saying he's fine. He's saying that after the previous week's game, um, that was actually worse, and he feels great after this one. So that's good for Alabama fans. Uh, that, that nice, shy kid, uh, Tua Tongovailoa, that's right. I practiced his name a million times. Uh, and, and Bama upsets Missouri. <laughs> Number one upsets not even ranked Missouri. So hats off to them. Great, great 
bit of action, both in NFL, NCAA, WWE with John Cena's hair, all the fights, boxing, UFC, all that stuff. This is Dudes Talk Sports. It's a little bit longer episode. We are on social media. You can go on Twitter at Dudes Talk Sports, Instagram at Dudes underscore Talk Sports, at our, what's it called? Our URL, www.dudes-talk-sports.com. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. This is Will Thomas. We out of here. See you.